Cutting Through Tech, Season 2, Episode 9, Apple's WWDC, Part 1, Dub Dub What? The History of Dub Dub. Welcome to Cutting Through Tech, the show all about technical strategy for women leaders today. Now, we are headed into the final two episodes of Season 2 which has been all about mobile apps. Now, technical strategy can take shape in so many ways, but one of the bits of tech that I get asked about the most has been apps, how to break into the app market. So if you have been along for the ride in this season, you should feel a little bit more comfortable at this point, which is perfect timing. Today, I'll explain what WWDC is, why it matters to you and many others in the world, and what my experience was having been twice. Also, I'll let you in on some of the rumors of what is expected to be announced this year. If you are listening to this and you have an app idea, but you don't quite know where to start, well, first of all, listen to this episode because I think you'll enjoy it. But also, I'm hosting a masterclass about how to create successful apps on June 26th. If you are serious about creating an app, then you have to be there. You can find all the details on successfulapps.manenia.com and I've included the link for you in the show notes. I did a similar workshop the other month with business owners who are looking to start developing an app and it was a resounding success. So if you need more clarity on what your next steps should be, I will see you there. But for now, let's talk all things dubbed up. So WWDC stands for World Wide Developers Conference and is affectionately referred to as DubDub. As I mentioned, it's Apple's yearly developer-focused conference, which started all the way back in 1987. That's right, it's been running for 33 years. It used to be very much an engineer-like conference in the sense that Apple would explain what's new in technology and developers would be interested in building software and tools for the platforms. If you remember, back in the late 90s, there was a big Mac versus Windows debate. I mean, I actually don't know if it was big. Generally speaking, Windows just dominated. But where Macs were heavily used was the creative industries like print, media, video, and so on. Now, that's also because those companies that would make software for those industries, if you think of Adobe's Photoshop and so on, they would actively make their software available for both platforms. Now, at WWDC, Apple would sit with engineers and help them effectively rate the software for their platforms, which in turn makes their platforms more popular. It used to be focused primarily on desktop software, and when Mac OS X was launched, attendance started increasing afterwards. This was in the early 2000s. But it was nothing like what happened after the iPhone launched. The year after the launch, 2008, was the first time it sold out and it continued to be that case for years after. 2013 was the absolute breaking point when tickets sold out in 71 seconds. Now, as it so happens, that was also the first year I attended, but I'll get into that later. Now, these tickets are not cheap, by the way. They're about $1,600 and there are about 5,000 of them. So for those to sell out in that number of time is pretty crazy. The event became so popular that the tickets are now allocated on a lottery basis. So you still have to pay the hefty fee, 
But in effort to avoid the rush to buy, as happened in, in 2013, it's now kind of quote unquote randomly distributed. What DubDub looks like today is, is this. It's a week-long event and it starts with a keynote presentation on Monday morning to developers and media where Tim Cook, Apple CEO, Craig Federici, um, is like the SVP of all things software, and other Apple senior vice presidents come up and talk about what's next. The new iOS, the new macOS, and sometimes even new bits of hardware. But these are usually kind of machines that are developer-focused. So think of high-powered MacBooks and so on. Then the next five days are basically a bit like what I call Apple University, where there are tons of classes and talks about different bits of the Apple SDK. Now, an SDK means software development kit, but, you know, forget that. Basically, it's about... If you want to use Apple's AR platform, or if you want to use, say, um, Face ID in your app to unlock, you know, your app because you're working on a banking app and stuff, those sessions teach you how to use that in your apps and basically how you can leverage the platform to make great experiences. You also have the opportunity to sit with Apple engineers to get help. And sometimes you have really gnarly issues in your app and you can sit side by side and they'll have a look at it with you, which is really cool. Now, the reason this event happens and why specifically in June is because from this week onwards, developers go off and basically get their hands on the beta versions of the new bits of software. They can try out their own apps on it because inevitably there'll be a lot of kinks to iron out. They can also incorporate the new technologies that were announced into their apps because just like when you were able to have widgets kind of on the home screen or you could search through apps with Siri, all of these bits require developers to enable this technology within their apps. And then when basically the new phone comes out and is announced in September, all of these apps are ready to go with the latest OS or operating system. Because can you imagine the experience for someone who just basically spent $1,000 on an iPhone and tries to install Facebook and it all breaks, right? So as developers, we get the summer basically to fix and prep everything for the consumer launches in the fall. So why does this matter to you? Now, these new capabilities can affect what you're working on if you're in the business of a tech startup that is even remotely mobile-based. Because sometimes apps get Sherlocked. Now, that's kind of an industry joking term, but it basically means that some of the ideas get copied and made redundant by Apple itself. Many apps have suffered from Apple implementing the same feature within their platform, kind of eliminating the need for users to download a third-party app. The flashlight is probably a very famous example um, because now it's super accessible, right? If you've got an iPhone and you kind of swipe up or you enable it, Just like there is a quick button to get to your camera, there's a quick button to get to the flashlight, which is effectively just using the camera flash. In the first few years, there were actually a lot of developers that had made these really simple apps that would indeed just turn on the flashlight of the camera. So, you know, you could find things in the dark and and so on. Another example is the fact that you can now click the plus volume button to take a photo, which is another idea that came from an app. The App Camera Plus actually was banned from the store for a while because they were using kind of hardware that was counterintuitive because Apple said, you know, this button is only for volume purposes and you've basically kind of violated that 
agreement. So they took the app down from the store and after some back and forth, it got reinstated, but they had to remove that piece of functionality. Lo and behold, <laughs> Apple went on and did it themselves. And now it's such a common pattern that I'm not even quite sure how I took photos without it. So that can be one reason, but the other and more fun one is that Apple might introduce something that enables your business to take strides forward. When I worked at SwiftKey, um, and I've told this story before, users could install the keyboard on Android, but not on iOS because Apple hadn't really allowed that functionality. In 2014, they announced at DubDub in June <laughs> um, that this would now be possible. And we basically had to turn that around in one summer, ready for launch in September. That opened up a whole new audience to the business in the end, as SwiftKey was finally available on iPhones and iPads. So whether it's because you are working in the app space and you want to make sure to see what other people are doing, or it's because you're looking to expand your app in the app space, it's a really interesting event to be aware of. And either way, if you are interested in the space in general or looking to develop an app, it's the event to follow. The keynote is just two hours, always live streamed and widely covered by media. The rest of the week is very tailored to engineers, so I wouldn't necessarily delve too much into that, but the keynote is for everyone. This year, Apple is hosting WWDC completely virtually, which is quite a change. Google has a similar event actually called IO, uh, but they canceled this edition due to the current COVID pandemic, but Apple's one is, is still going ahead. I will be joining digitally, but I've also had the great fortune of attending the event in San Francisco in both 2013, yes, the year where it sold out in 71 seconds, and again in 2015. Both times I managed to get a scholarship ticket, which was really great. Um, scholarship doesn't always, by the way, mean that you're in uni, but um, yeah, long story short, that was really cool. And I also had the opportunity to meet Tim Cook himself in 2015, as well as visit Apple's HQ in Cupertino, mainly to discuss third-party keyboard SDKs. And the atmosphere is really wonderful, um, especially the first morning where developers queue up super early to get a good seat for the keynote. And the, the chat and the banter in the line is always really fun, and you get to meet some of the great people behind the apps that you use every day. Now, there was a particular story from the first time I went that I did want to share, which kind of touches on the fact that, of course, there are a lot of men. That's kind of just the way tech events are, right? And at the time, I had released an app called Beauty Geek. It allowed you to search for beauty products across different websites to find the best deals, much like travel sites like Skyscanner and so forth, find the best deal for a flight across different operators. And I was standing in line for one of the sessions uh, with other developers and everyone was discussing their apps and the challenges they had while making them. Some even pulled them out and like, you know, kind of showed the phone around and asked for feedback on the spot. So I spoke about mine and I distinctly remember everyone looking away uh, or at the ground and I kind of encouraged them. I said, hey, we'll search for something like, I don't know, shower gel, hair gel or any kind of grooming product that your typical cis male would use and they declined it wasn't the sort of app that they would use so they couldn't possibly give feedback or use it in any kind of way now this wasn't my first um encounter because at that point i'd been in and around the tech space for a while but it was definitely my first proper encounter with what you would consider 
sexism in the industry. Um, and there were a few more. But I remember feeling deeply discouraged and very alone. After I came back from America that summer, I landed a job at SwiftKey and, you know, kind of got busy with other things. Many friends of mine who know what a beauty junkie I am, uh, you know, continue to ask me about the app and I don't think, me kind of pausing it, I don't think it was directly linked to what happened at the event. Um, and over time, you know, now I found that I prefer working with multiple women and enabling them to start their businesses. But it did make me think because such an app is the perfect service for women in today's world. And why doesn't it exist? Why isn't it as normal as, say, kayak or skyscanner is for travel? And this brings me back to the mission of Menenia and this podcast, right? Because as women, we want technology that supports us. And these can be life altering, like healthcare, <laughs> all the way down to the kind of quote unquote for fun category, but incredibly important, such as beauty supplies. I was 22 at the time, and I'd like to think that I know better now <laughs> and wouldn't really be discouraged through these types of conversations. But I mention it because as you work or enter the, the tech space in the industry, you will likely also have these conversations and not everyone will take your ideas seriously. These types of apps and experiences do need to exist and be created for us. That being said, it's these events like DubDub that also taught me so much and allowed me to connect to the community. Founders often ask me how to find developers or engineers to work with and being involved in these kind of events goes a long way. Normally, I would suggest going to a viewing event in your city. Uh, I know in London, there's usually one every year where the whole local iOS community watches the announcements together. Um, but obviously this year, that's not the case. So I think, for example, on Twitter, you can get a real great taste of the atmosphere instead. And the one thing that hypes up the atmosphere the most are the rumors. And I'll admit, I'm not normally a big fan of looking at them, but I did have a peek for you. I'm going to whiz through this as next week, I'll be back to discuss what actually happened in the keynote and what it means for you as both a consumer and a business owner in detail. But there were a few highlights I wanted to touch upon today. So the context of the event, right, is software, but also hardware that affects software and development. So Apple is likely to announce new chips, and also, as standard pretty much, the new version of the operating systems. So this is iOS for iPhones, iPadOS for iPads, watchOS for the watch, and macOS for the desktop. The bit about the new chips is interesting, because the past few years, Apple have always used Intel chips in their machines. Now, when I say chips, right, these are the CPUs or processors that power MacBooks and basically do all the calculations that a computer would normally do. They're based in not just, by the way, the MacBooks, but also the iMacs, any handheld devices like the tablets and, and the phones. Apple is likely to switch to a new manufacturer, ARM, so they can benefit from increased speed and lower power consumption. The interesting bit is that they're also rumored to be working on their own chips, which is kind of cool because if you're in the space of AI, this might help. There has been increased attention paid to the requirements of machines nowadays for performing really good AI machine learning effectively, because these are, you know, not your typical calculations or typical things that computers do. They require a lot of power. 
So the fact that chips are slowly but surely being manufactured and designed for that kind of use is really cool. Now, in the iOS 14 lineup, there was one thing that stood out for me, which is the support for third-party default apps. Now, I've, I've mentioned third-party a few times actually in this episode, and what it is is an application made by someone else than Apple, but it can serve a similar functionality to a native application on the platform. For example, Safari is used to browse the web, but you can also use Google Chrome if you wanted. Now, normally, if you click a link in your chat or in WhatsApp or wherever, Safari is always used. Now, you can't tell the system to use Google Chrome instead, at least not on the phone. This is pretty typical on on your desktop, but not so much on handheld devices. Same thing holds if you click an address and Apple Maps opens up, which (laughs) I don't know about you, but in London, it's, it's not the best. So in iOS 14, it'll be likely that you can now set that up to open in Google Maps, for example, by default, which is really cool. Personally, I'm, I'm hoping, really hoping that you can start using voice command control and Siri to control music playback from other apps because I use Spotify rather than Apple Music and it's always bugged me that I can't say next song um, because actually it, it kind of quits Spotify and then it opens up Apple Music and starts playing the two free songs that they gave me like forever ago. Lastly, there has been a leak of some code that is indicating that watchOS 7 will be able to track blood oxygen levels, which is crazy. It's unknown if this will be compatible with current or older watch devices, or if this is supposed to go hand in hand with a new watch that will probably launch later this year. Software updates don't always work, you know, on on old pieces of hardware. Sometimes they're designed specifically to go with new pieces of kit. So we'll have to just wait and see, I think, till later this year, how that's going to go down. Today, I opened up the curtains a little and you got to have a peek behind it in what's normally a big highlight for mobile software engineers worldwide. I do this because it's, you know, it's not just for developers. It really does set the standard for what's possible in tech and us women and business owners need to be in the know. I hope you enjoyed this overview of DubDub's history, why this event matters, and kind of what the usual structure is, but also my own experiences attending. Now, this conference is fun and all, but when you are serious about bringing apps to the market, there are a lot of factors to consider. I cover them all and show you how to get started in my upcoming masterclass on creating successful apps, and you can register now on successfulapps.manenia.com. For now, thanks for tuning in. Check back next week to see what goodies Apple has shared because you know I'll be breaking them down for you. I hope you have a wonderful week and see you next time.